It's Thursday, January 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher and J.P. Bennett. Happy Thursday, gentlemen. Happy Thursday, Chris. Who's running the show? If if you guys are pro and options, who's running it? Like, is is it a rudderless ship while you're in here? Y- your good friend Jim Gillies up uh, in Canada is running the show. We got Jim Mueller here in options oh, now too, and uh, we got Billy as well. well. As, so, long, as long as as long as Gillies is at the helm, everything is, everything is good. Every- everything is golden. <laughs> Don't leave out Ellen too. She's holding down the floor. Ellen is the, Ellen the master Bowman, of all. Yeah, I was going to say Ellen Bowman, who actually does she keep makes, keep all of you in line. Makes uh, the site happen, but. So, Chris, congratulations on four years thank this year you. for Market yes. Frillery. Thank that's, you very much, and thank awesome. you for helping us uh, get year five underway. Well, you do a great job, and uh, this week now we have JP's. This is JP's debut on it Market is. Foolery. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> JP Bennett, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to talk retail, but first, um, let's dip into the Fool mailbag because this is right up your alley, uh, Jeff. Um, radio at fool.com is our email address. Got a question from John M. With commodity prices at inflation defying values and the assumed great reduction in mining and drilling that will accompany it, I foresee 2015 being a good year for the dollar, but a bad year for the stock market. Could you give me some advice on how to, uh, how to appropriately buy puts to protect myself from potential losses on holdings that I have, but I do not want to sell? Um, it, I can't imagine John is the only person who looks at, particularly Jeff, the last couple of years that the stock market has had, the great run it's had, and thinks, all things being equal, odds are this is going to be a down year for the market. Um, To his question, what advice do you have? Well, first things first would be to isolate the holdings that you are concerned about. And ask yourself if you want to go on owning them, period. And uh, if you do, then you can consider protecting them if you like. But it's rare that we buy put options in pro or options to protect anything, which sounds ironic. But let's let's back up one step and and tell members what a put option is. A put option is basically an insurance policy that lets the owner sell a stock at a a set price, the strike price. Let's use an example. Apple, right now, commonly widely owned company, obviously, trades at about 110, 111. You can buy a $110 put option that expires one year from today, practically, January 2016. And you'll pay about $13 for that put option. So that's more than 10% of the stock's current price you'll pay in, in, in this put premium insurance premium basically so if apple fell if even if it fell all the way to 50 even if it fell all the way to zero you could sell your shares at 110 because you own this put so that's great but you're paying 10 percent of your current stock value to buy that put and that's why it's rare that we'll buy a put option to protect something we may instead short a market index to hedge some of our portfolios so if we're 80% 80% long in the market, and we want to be only 60% long, we might short 20% in SPY, the S&P index. And that way, you, you manage your exposure without selling the stocks you want to go on owning for the, for the years to come. You don't pay taxes. You don't you know miss upside. So that's one way to do it. That said, you can buy put options on things you own and want to protect when the premiums are reasonable. If you can get away with paying you know, typically 3 or 4% a year in a put premium to protect something, 
then you can do that. Now, how do you do that? With Apple, you just move your strike far down. So instead of buying a, a 110 protection at 110, maybe you look at 90 or 80 dollars a share. Maybe you're comfortable uh, locking out or eliminating all downside below 80 dollars per share. In that case, buy the you can buy the put option. You would buy to open one put for every 100 shares you wanted to protect. Well, and that's yeah. You just touched on something that's obviously key. Uh, a key component to all this is um, the whole the whole thing where it's got to be in hundred share blocks. Yes, every every standard put option represents one hundred shares. Now you could you could buy more protection if you want, but you're paying for more than you need basically. The more you use the word protection, the more it just sounds like put options were created by the mob. What we do most, <laughs> I love whoever created options. <laughs> Uh, what we do most in Options and Pro is sell put options. We write them for income. We collect that premium and and ideally keep it as income. Uh, when you sell a put option, you're obligated to buy the stock if it falls below your strike price. But anyway, back to the question. Yes, if you want to buy put options to protect certain holdings, you certainly can. Try to pay no more than 3 or 4% of the asset value per year. So that typically means protect the stock 20 some percent lower. If it if it fluctuates 10-20%, that can happen with a, a small smallish company pretty easily. But you if you want to protect against bigger declines than that, you can buy puts fairly reasonably priced 20% below today's current price. All right, let's move on to retail and Costco, which reported same store sales for December that came in higher than expected, shares up a little bit this morning. Uh, JP, you were you were digging into their numbers. Uh, it, it seems like uh, it was a a nice December for Costco. Yeah, the retail market in general has been a bit of a mixed bag, and uh, Costco their sales, if you exclude uh, changes in gas and foreign exchange, they were up about eight percent. Um, if you include those, they're they're up a little less. You got five percent in the U.S. and the total was three percent. So they're chugging along quite nicely. And if you look at just the market in general, uh, discount variety in club stores, there was actually a lot of strength in that particular part of the retail industry. It was actually the top performing uh, segment for December. The The whole segment in general was up 8.3%. So Costco definitely was a part of that trend. We talked yesterday about uh, JCPenney's uh, Stock rise because they also had a good holiday quarter. Obviously, JCPenney as a business is very different from Costco, and certainly the the stock is. But I, I don't know. I just sort of I look at those two and some of the other retailers that have come out over the last week or so that are, and and the more clues we get about how companies did in December, it really does seem like it was a for the first time in maybe two or three years. Overall, it seems like it was a really strong holiday quarter. Well, it seems that way so far, but I really look forward to seeing more detailed results. A lot of these companies, Costco included, are just reporting same-store sales, so the top line. What we're not seeing yet on many of these companies are the bottom line, how their margins stood up. Because so many companies, JCPenney included, discounted things uh, like crazy to move volume to get volume. So you just touched on uh, something that I wanted to get to, and JPL, I'm curious in both your opinions, but I'll start with you, JP. How much importance should investors give same store sales? How much 
does that fa- factor into your thinking? Obviously, it's a key metric, but I, I'm I'm sure that there are you know at least a few people out there who are looking at Costco and saying, well, their their same store sales came in better than expected for December. They don't report earnings until the first week of March, but I think this bodes well, and you know. Yeah, it, same store sales sure moves the stock a lot. Part of the reason for that, uh, and I don't mean to cut JP off. JP. No, 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 no. <laughs> I directed right it ahead. to JP first, but by all means, Jeff, go <laughs> step Go ahead, JP. <laughs> Finish your thought first, and then I'll. I'll but then. Same store sales do move a, a stock quite a bit, and part of the reason is the investors view that as a kind of a recurring base that keeps growing. If you can bring in more customers year after year. Uh, your base grows year after year. We've seen extreme moves from Whole Foods uh, and now JCPenney and others when their same store sales move the right direction or in the other direction too. How much importance do you give them, JP? I think it's definitely a metric you have to pay attention to in this industry. Touching on JCPenney a little bit more, I would just note that after your performance is bad enough for a long enough period of time, there is a base where <laughs> you kind of have to move up off of that if you're going to stick around for a couple more quarters. So they had a pretty low hurdle that they were trying to clear. So that's just something that you need to keep in mind, too. Of course, the stock is is going to react immediately off of whatever the number is, but you need to look at it in context of how the company has been performing over a long period of time. Back to just same-store sales in general, Another thing you need to be cautious with that is that um, some stores actually report it differently. Some include their online sales as a part of same-store sales. Some don't. So it's not always an apples-to-apples comparison. But it it gives you a nice check on how the company is doing generally over a month, uh, month-to-month basis if they report that or uh, quarter-to-quarter. But like Jeff mentioned, you, you need to pay attention to their discounting and things like that. It's not the only thing that you need to be paying attention to. All things being equal, do you prefer to see a company give out same store sales numbers on a monthly basis? I don't know. I, I and I don't own Costco, but I uh, part of me wonders if you're a company just starting out, if you're better off just doing that on a quarterly basis. I don't know. I just I'm I'm thinking of Buffett and how Buffett. You know, there are companies out there that don't really give guidance. Uh, obviously, Wall Street analysts love to get as much information as they can. But all things being equal, would you would you rather see a company, a retailer, give monthly same store sales numbers or just do it on a quarterly basis? Well, as an analyst, I kind of love it, right? Because it helps us <laughs> stay up to date with what's going on in our investments. But it does kind of play to a short-term trading type mentality because you're getting a data point monthly and you can kind of say, ooh, I want to buy because of that or it's time to sell because of one one bad quarter. And that's normally not a good idea to base your decision on one quarter's worth of metrics, uh, especially if it's just one particular data point. That is unless it's horrible and you can see that the company is just kind of falling apart. Yeah, and it certainly can add some welcome volatility. If there's a retailer you, you know well and respect and they have a bad month, it can add uh, it can bring about a nice opportunity to write some options or, or buy some stock. I was just going to say, you're, you're in favor of anything that contributes volatility to the Definitely. market. Generally speaking. <laughs> uh, before we go, two housekeeping uh, notes. Um, I had mentioned this a few weeks ago, and now I can – I sort of teased this out a few weeks ago, but now I can finally share the news that – We have a brand new podcast at The Motley Fool. It is called Motley Fool Answers, and it's a weekly podcast dealing with basic money issues, personal finance, retirement, 
estate planning, all of that basic day-to-day money stuff that, frankly, we don't really talk about on Market Foolery. Options. Or, <laughs> uh, or on Motley Fool Money. Um, uh, Robert Brokamp, who's our retirement expert, and Deanna Yoakum, who's our personal finance expert, they are, uh, they're doing this brand new podcast. So, check it out on iTunes, on Stitcher, any, anywhere you get the podcast, uh, check it out. It comes out every Tuesday. Uh, and second, uh, to the point that, uh, that Jeff mentioned at the top, uh, thank you uh, to all of uh, you who uh, made some nice comments on Twitter about our fourth anniversary earlier this week. And uh, and year five is underway. So Ooh, four years. You graduate now, Chris, right? I gra- <laughs> getting your master's. Uh, I, yeah, I'm getting my, ma- <laughs> my master's in podcasting. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.